so quick are so quick to well what are you gonna do what are you gonna do and you think about talk about anyone with change and that discomfort it's okay let's put a plan and let's go to the do whereas in my book intention it's purposeful why the first two chapters and first two parts around discovery like what's real what are you really solving for what do you before you can do what are you doing with and what do you how are you gonna apply that and then the second part is the principle of you like who are you what are you willing to do what are you bringing to the table and what are you giving up Welcome to the Leadership Junkies podcast brought to you by Carnivera, the leadership development ecosystem that helps you grow your people, grow your business, and grow your life. Today, we have Dr. Ian Brooks with us, and it's a fascinating conversation, as you can tell from the title, Return on Heartbeats, Leading with Intention Towards Influence. What Dr. Brooks talks about is to get away from measuring ROI and instead measure what he calls return on heartbeats, which is really about putting your people first, focusing on who they are, what they want, as well as focusing on who you are as a leader. He talks a lot, obviously, about intention. He's got a book he's written about intention. And one of the things he highlights for us is that leaders need to focus on what they're going to do different and not just talk about different and he has this great little point he makes that thinking is a doing but we can get stuck in the thinking and avoid the doing he's going to talk about unconscious bias the role of our unconscious decisions this is a deep dive today and what it takes to lead not just in general but in particular with the reality of an awakened empowered and choice driven workforce Leadership Junkies podcast, where we explore leadership, business, and personal growth to help you grow your business and live a richer life. We're your hosts, Jeff Dishwitz and Craig Matthews. We believe that leaders have to put their people first. And if you don't have time to grow your people, then you're not leading. Get ready for conversations that will challenge your thinking and help you transform your leadership and your business. Welcome to your bigger business and bigger life. We are excited to be back for another conversation about leadership. And today's going to be a unique perspective. We've got Dr. Ian Brooks with us. He is the CEO and founder of Rhodes Smith Consulting, personal and professional development firm that specializes in behavioral transformations. Ooh. Pay attention to that word, folks, behavioral. He's the author, and I love this title. The book is called Intention, Building Capabilities to Transform Your Story. For the last 24 plus years, Dr. Brooks has taken him from working in a clinical ward to now working with organizations and people with a singular goal to help individuals build the skills towards achieving new heights. His client list is not very descriptive. Netflix, Shondaland, Bank of America, Guitar Center, some small company called Nike, Sony, Warner Brothers. So in other words, he works with a lot of companies with very few letters in their name, which means <laughs> they're very big corporations. Yeah, you big companies that? have small names. The big companies have small names. <laughs> That's who he works with to work on this transformational work. He has a passion for helping individuals um, expand and helping leaders and organizations develop key skills. Yeah, we're going to be talking about skills and working with their teams to build their mastery of intention and consistency of capability. So welcome to the intention conversation. Ian. <laughs> yeah, great to have you, Ian. No, glad to be here talking to you both. I won't tell you what my intention is because that's a secret. We'll find out. At the end. <laughs> All right. <laughs> <laughs> so Ian, give us a little bit of the background story. Yeah. You know, it's, um, it's, it's one that's uh, rife with uh, ups and downs and zigzags. But I tell you, it's always been purposeful in that respect. So I decided um, as a 13-year-old that I wanted to be a psychologist. Um, I was always curious around why people did what they did. Um, <laughs> and, and quite honestly, still searching for that answer. Yeah. <laughs> a good. lot of ways. I thought if you figured it out, that would be a good one. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, there, there, there you go, Jeff, with your aha moment. Uh, <laughs> let's see. But, I, but I, when, I, when I was 13, I was thinking about that just because... You know, I was curious about myself, curious about why I was always fearful of judgment, always in the shadows and so forth. Um, but I always cared about what people thought at that moment and even cared about what people did. And as such, you know, just kind of tripped into psychology at that in that moment. 
And um, it afforded me a chance to be behind the scenes while also being able to talk to people and get to know them. And they would know very little bit about myself. And that took me on a journey of getting my master's in clinical psychology. And, and as you alluded to in the introduction, um, working in a 24-hour lockdown ward. So I had the opportunity to run group and individual therapy um, for adults who were just coming straight off the street and who were dealing with chemical imbalances and required, you know, medication and truly hard therapy um, within a confined setting before we put them back out to the environment or they went to their next, uh, next placement. And so that foundation of working with those adults and subsequently even working with children um, through intelligence testing and personality testing really afforded me an opportunity and foundation of understanding who people are from a historical why perspective. Um, but I wanted to work with people in a lot of higher functioning areas um, <laughs> who were not just trying to be normal, but who really wanted to expand. And while our definition of air quote normal <laughs> is, is relative to who you ask when you ask them and potentially when you meet them. So they want um, to be Abby normal. Yes. <laughs> yeah, Abby, you know, uh, we're all normal in our own ways. Yeah. But, I, I, you know, it, it afforded me that foundation. And I wanted to work with those uh, individuals in that norm, normalcy state to really expand them in different ways. And so um, I left clinical psychology and then pursued a, a degree in um, a PhD in industrial organization psychology. Ah, okay. Which used my foundation in clinical psychology now to work with organizations and people one on one. And so in that context, and as you mentioned, some of the organizations I've had the pleasure of, of working with and for, um, it's been a, a great journey of being able to work with them, seeing how leaders, one from a strategic standpoint, but also from an influencing perspective, are now impacting their teams in ways that really enable them to be better, recognizing that leaders in, in and of themselves um, are not necessarily the ones changing as so much as other spreadsheets and their org charts. <laughs> uh, yeah. And also in that context, working with individuals one-on-one -on -one, because there the choice is really imperative. It's them that really have that impetus and that vulnerability in more specific detail on day-to-day -day actions of actually doing something different that allows me to combine both my clinical and organizational skills. Hmm. So again, as you mentioned, help people master their intentions and be very purposeful on doing something different tomorrow than they're doing today. Awesome. Well, before we go into the wisdom bombs, which I know are coming, I have to say, <laughs> so you're a guy that decided at 13 to be a psychologist. And yes. I decided about 14 or 15 to be a lawyer. Okay. Prior career. <laughs> so I just want everybody to know that despite the fact that that might suggest that we are both incredibly boring and dull, <laughs> that we're actually I'm, we're both pretty cool i think and we can you know yeah. we can, we're fun to hang out with <laughs> yes. oh come on guys i, I knew my I, I have to say <laughs> most people would hear that and go what yeah. self-proclaimed <laughs> wow. cool guys absolutely i'm right there with you jeff <laughs> but you know it's funny when you say it, you, making that decision as 13 or 14 year olds you know i don't know about you but i know for me i had a plan i knew where i was going to go to college i knew where you know the experiences i wanted to create yep. but yet in that context while I had a plan, I just experienced the path. And my path was my path. It was up and down and zigzag and all over the place. And it was human. <laughs> yeah, it's just human. I mean, that's all it was. And I didn't try to control the path. Yeah. I just controlled and dictated and purposeful plan of what I was trying to create. Now, it's so, interesting you say that. You're not dictating the path, but I'm, I'm sure that you had your response to the mm -hmm. direction that you were going at any given time. And you can, you can have healthy or unhealthy responses to something. Absolutely. And, it, and that always took shape. Um, and in oh. and, and that, in that respect, it's, I, I describe it to people often like, you know, the wizard of Oz and Dorothy, her plan was just to get back to Kansas yeah, right. <laughs> where, where Oz was just a milestone and she just had to walk down the yellow road. She didn't know she'd run into the tin man scarecrow. Um, <laughs> the Wicked Witch of the West, she didn't know what she was going to hit, but she knew the goal was ultimately to get back to Kansas. Yeah. And so she just tested and utilized her own capabilities and adjusted. Some things were good, some things were bad, but she got there. My life and our lives are no different. You know, I had a plan. I'm just, just trying to get a PhD at that, at that point in time, understanding why people did what they did and creating as much experience and situations around that for myself to experience it, but also seeing it in others. And so once knowing that path or knowing that plan, excuse me, now let's just experience the path of living in Atlanta, living in Alabama and Montgomery, living in LA, um, living in Portland and traveling all over the place. I couldn't have dictated that. And some of it was great. Some of it was just poop. 
<laughs> like, quite honestly. And, you know, but the reality was I treated each experience as a learning moment of a place of reference, not of resident, where oh, I was improving as an individual and improving as a professional, knowing what my plan was, recognizing that I'm also creating an opportunity for me to become a better person as well. Well, you know, if you remember Dorothy, though, she also learned the lesson about taking time to smell the roses. Yes. And the first roses she decided to smell were actually poppies. So she went right. to sleep in an opium field. But most people forget about that, that wisdom yes. from uh, the movie makers in 1939, I believe. So right. well, yeah, I gotta that was say, a very different journey. I, I, I question yes. her, her intelligence anyway, wanting to get back to Kansas. I mean, have, yeah. have you been to Kansas? Uh, you know, sorry for anybody that lives there and actually likes it, but uh, oof. Yeah. Well, you know what they say, it's the, it's the five people closest to you. So that tells yeah. you about uh, right. Dorothy. So there's so much in there. You use a lot of words in your introduction and in sharing your story. And mm -hmm. you talked about impact and influence. Yeah. yeah. And those are two words that we use regularly here, both mm -hmm. on the podcast and in Cartavera. That, and I actually did a program this morning. And I, that's what I shared is the purpose of leadership. Yeah. Those two words, impact more intentional the better mm -hmm. yes and influence because yeah. we all have impact yes can you talk just about that kind of high level concept of impact and influence when it comes to leadership yeah because at the very two very statement there's impact and there's influence i think the when i think about influence and actually i was talking to one of my coaches about this earlier this year uh, through a book called the quiet art of influence um and as we think about influence in my mind it's how can I get other people to feel bought in as well as feel like they're empowered to now move forward with an idea that I might be driving as much as an idea that they feel that is extremely important for them as well. In that respect, that importance may not be at the same level as I'm thinking or from a leadership standpoint, while also acknowledging they may not fully agree, but they're able to go along because they're then bought in. As from a leadership perspective, it's extremely important not only to do that for our direct reports, but also our peers, um, as well as those who may have competing strategies. As from a leadership standpoint, we often find ourselves working myopically and our influence is just siloed going down. Whereas our influence expands much like our periphery and our vision to many different areas inside other parts of an organization or even people in that respect. That's exactly That's, why we say that, you, you know, you really, it doesn't matter what your role is. You mm -hmm. have influence on people around you. You can lead where you are. Absolutely. And to your very statement, Greg, leadership is often defined by a title when it's really defined by your action. Absolutely. Um, and your output rather than your outcome. <laughs> and, and so in that, in my mind, it's a function of really being that influencing is not only what you say, but also your ability to ask good questions and being able to listen. And, and at that point, that's where you get to the ultimate, Jeff, to your um, other word, impact. Because when people feel heard, when they feel engaged, when they feel like they're a part of the process, that's when you truly have an impact of being able to do something different or potentially institute a strategy or better yet, get people on board with where you're going. Yeah. So it's, it's interesting where lessons come from and the timing. Uh, last night, Craig knows this. I'm a Broadway guy. I love Broadway yeah. theater. Uh -huh. And I was looking at a list of the hundred, hundred greatest movies. Mm -hmm. And I just made a decision. I'm going to check off the ones I haven't seen. Okay. And the one that came up last night that was available on Netflix was my fair lady. Okay. Uh, I had never seen the movie. I'd seen the play. Really? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think I'd seen pieces of it and, but the I watched rain. it and there was a scene in the movie last night that just spoke so much to just what you said where Eliza has gone to the ball and she has passed the test. You know, they, they've accomplished the goal and they get back home and Professor Higgins and I think the Colonel Pickford or something like that, Pickerington, they start celebrating and talking about themselves. And then you watch as Eliza literally slinks to the side of the room yeah. and almost disappears Mm -hmm. And I'm watching this going, oh, my God, this is how life translates every day. <laughs> Leaders do this. And even the next day, you know, Liza gets pissed off the next day. The staff says, what did you do to upset her? And here's what mm -hmm. they said. I don't know. We barely said a word to her. 
Yeah. <laughs> and it struck me as this profound statement wow. that mm-hmm. when we don't just literally don't even speak to our people or see them, mm-hmm. what's that impact? And the impact was she felt worthless, mm-hmm. completely unseen, and she didn't matter and totally yeah. dismissed. And sadly, I we see that playing out in companies every day. Good catch, Absolutely. Jeff. That's wow. Very good. Yeah. And when I, yeah, when I step into organizations um, doing org change, one of the first things I look for is how well do they engage their teams? In that respect, I think about what are their routines? Can you show me a distribution list? <laughs> um, how are you connected with your peers? When's the last time you actually heard people? Um, what's their <laughs> feedback? Right. And that tells me more about what I'm actually stepping into because it really doesn't matter what we're going to be changing or what idea we're going to be implementing. People most likely and most oftentimes will get behind just about anything if you're honest with them and upfront. Yes. But most of the time, we're solving for things that were issues that are so far in the background of 10 years in the making or not, of not being heard and not having good communication or engagement that now we're struggling just to break even, much less try to get ahead. Yeah. And so to that very statement, it's, it's so often leaders get uh, caught up in the I moment of look what I did versus, hey, what's that collective moment? Um, yeah. When's the last time you actually recognized your employees um, around the contributions that they've made? And that tells me a lot more about them <laughs> and that organization than any change that they want to make. Such I want to highlight a word you just used, because I think you used it differently than most. You said you talked to the leaders about how they engage with their people. Mm-hmm. But too often, organizations we find are talking about engagement levels. Yeah. Like what engagement are they getting from their people? Mm -hmm. So can you differentiate those two? Because we throw these words around, but what do you mean by engaging with your people versus getting engagement from them? Yeah, yeah. One is passive and one is, is, is empowering. You know, that passive is we're just waiting for people to tell us something. We're just waiting for that employee survey. We're waiting for them to send, a, send us a JIRA ticket for, ticket for a technology issue. We're just waiting for them to call us <laughs> and say that there's a problem. When we're actually engaging people from a leadership standpoint, we're empowering ourselves to go out and I'm going to meet you where you are. That doesn't mean I have to live there. It's just understanding where you are. Absolutely. It's me taking and saying, I'm going to put you as a priority. No different than a stakeholder meeting. No different than a shareholder meeting. No different than me looking and talking to a a COO or the CEO or heck a senior manager, having meetings, having conversations. It's going down to the people who are actually impacting and creating the processes of which are making me look good, (laughs) right? It's affording us the chance to be proactive. And when we're taking leadership engagement as a proactive stance rather than reactive, when I'm gonna come and ask you and talk to you on a Wednesday, just because it's Wednesday, (laughs) <laughs> in the fall <laughs> and see how you are doing. That is empowering. That lets people know that you care versus I have something that's coming up or <laughs> I have something that I need you to do for me. Right. Or this is just a lead into something that I now I'm going to scratch your back and know you down the road, you're going to have to scratch mine. It's truly saying I'm, it's a selfless act of saying, you know what? I care. Yeah. And I think the last 18 months plus have really demonstrated a, <laughs> and authored in a visibility towards those leaders who were really good at that, were, had a seamless kind of transition going into a remote workforce of keeping engaged and having a conversation versus those who maybe struggled a little bit, weren't as good at that, or weren't as intentional, purposeful, weren't as engaging in that way. And now they're having to engage in ways that they haven't done before, which now compounds the situation one their own vulnerability and discomfort. And then secondly, what does this guy now need from me? Or what does this, this, this madam need, need from me now? And now we've got trust issues. Like, okay, what are they trying to hear and see? And then at that point, it's oftentimes unidirectional. It's now I'm just communicating down. When I'm talking about engagement also in those leaderships to that last point, it's about a conversation. It's about listening as much as it is, or more so than it is talking. And being patient on hearing the truth of what we're actually hearing. So, Ian, one of the things that you were talking about that I I hadn't really thought about it in that context, what you were talking about how talking with your people, generally the people that are working Mm -hmm. for you, is as important as the the stakeholders, the 
board of directors, things like that. Yeah. And I would, I would say, you know, really, if, if you look at the board of directors, they're not fully engaged. They're not there yeah. every day and so forth. Yeah. So I would say it's probably even more important that we're talking with our people because I mean, ultimately mm-hmm. they're the ones that are doing the work, but they're also the ones that are on the front lines that can give us feedback as to what's going on. And if we're not to your point, listening, mm-hmm. then all we see is what we see. Right. And it's not about getting additional input mm-hmm. from multiple sources. So we can't lead as effectively if we're not talking to our people on a regular basis. But yeah. your other point, just just care. <laughs> you <Yeah. know? laughs> Something that Jeff and I talk about a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, not caring for self, but caring for them. Right. Um, and to your very statement, when you when I see people caring for that executive board more so than they're caring for their people, that tells me that that's about career path yep. at that point. Um, people are really good at managing up because we're taught to manage up from kids. We manage up to our parents <laughs> around their expectations, yeah. to our friends, um, to our big brothers, big sisters. Um, if we don't have big brothers, big sisters, it's other people in our community of whom we're looking up to. So throughout our lives, we're taught to, to manage up um, and to not necessarily care for down and to manage down or manage across because it's about the I. Yeah. And so as, we, as I, you know, as you embarked on and just touched on as well, it's um, truly caring for your people down um, is even more important because those are the ones who are truly enacting whatever it is that you have in, our, in your mind um, that you think is going to happen. And that's truly where that influence comes in and that true impact can be made. Yeah. So Ian, let's, let's address a question. Yeah. Craig and I both hear this regularly from leaders, mm-hmm. a recognition that making all the things you're saying, making time for their people, having those mm-hmm. conversations is important. Mm-hmm. And I won't use, but, and yeah. <laughs> I just don't have time for that because I've got all this stuff to do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now, my response to this has been, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> because that's actually your job. That's actually your main job. You should right. be saying, I don't have time to do this stuff. Mm-hmm. I've been spending so much time with my people. Right. What are you seeing in terms of the organizations that I'm going to just call it what it is the excuse of mm-hmm. not having time for that. I'm so busy doing my leadership versus <laughs> right. being my leadership. Uh, yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. It's uh, two people uh, doing, you know, leadership. Um, they just hide behind their meetings and they define their productivity by the amount of meetings that they're in. <laughs> Less about the productivity. Oh, so and, busy! I got meetings all day. <laughs> right, just to see my calendar. That, that is that's that's like shooting yourself in the foot and saying yes. you got shot in war. No, that's that's not a good thing. <laughs> like being shot in war is not. No one wants to walk away from that and, and say yes to that. But yet, I see it all the time. And to your very statement, it's it's they're they're caught up with stuff. And when I hear that, you know, and again, when I have to work with leaders. It's a function of what are you willing to do? <laughs> it's a very right. simple, very simple, very simple question and a very simple answer. What are you willing to do? Because now when I ask them that question, it's about really getting them to focus on one, their priority. Hmm. And then secondly, their action. We all think we have priorities and their stuff. I can probably guarantee you every single one of a person or leader who says they have a lot of stuff to do, thinks all that stuff is a priority. <laughs> um, <laughs> But secondly, now what are they willing to do? What's, you can, everything can't be a priority because that tells me you don't have any or you have too many. So interestingly enough, I used to, when I used to work at, at Bank of America or even prior to that at, at Countrywide Financial, so you know, during, during, right before the housing crisis struck, which was a very interesting uh, experience being a change manager and being, being there, running culture management, by the way, um, <laughs> one of their divisions. So you might imagine that was kind of interesting. But one of the things that we did is we had a monthly celebration where we brought in the executives from our division. Um, and that was the COO of that division, as well as his, you know, top five VPs. And they had scripts and what they're, who they're recognizing across our 52 locations um, across the country. And they got rewards. And they were part of the process. They were part of it, both not only from a, an acknowledgement standpoint, but also from an awareness standpoint. I think a lot of times leaders uh, skirt the idea of engagement or recognition because as Craig, as you mentioned, the board doesn't know, but that C-suite person or that VP 
depending upon your, the breadth of your organization, they don't know anything either. They don't know the details of what actually is happening because no one's communicating that stuff up. The only thing that gets communicated up are the problems, right? Or if it is recognition is, look what I did, not what my team did or <laughs> look what my 3D did. Right. And so one of the good things that, that this monthly celebration really afforded was creating visibility of all the things that we had people submitting to us around the great things that happened during the month. And then submitting that to the board in this organization and letting them decide and vote on what they thought was the most and biggest contribution. It's amazing um, that people don't celebrate. They don't. And they really in, don't. The other part of what you were talking about there, I thought was, was brilliant. You're, you're really looking at that as, okay, I, I have these people. I want to recognize them. I'm, I'm pulling this out here and we're, we're making this part of the culture. That's mm -hmm. great. Yeah. But if I ever hear from a leader, look at what I did when mm -hmm. clearly it was a team effort, they're not rising any higher. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's individualistic. And in fact, no I would probably be not. looking at where's the exit door for them. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. That's, that's exactly it. And, and recognizing that even these leaders at the organization, they can't do it on their own. They need the visibility. They need people to help champion and create that awareness because Jeff, to your point, they got stuff to do, right? They have meetings right. to handle. They have other reports they're looking at. So it's what they're being rated awareness. on. Yeah, exactly. They're not rated on how many times they recognize people. They're rated <laughs> on all these other things. Rating so, sucks. Yeah. Yeah. Clearly, your comments and in your book and things you've referenced, and it was an interesting twist you put in there. I don't know if you realized you did, because I said people are busy doing stuff. And you mm -hmm. came back saying it is still about doing. Mm -hmm. And I appreciate that because you talk about actions, you talk about behaviors, mm -hmm. which are some form of visible, it's not mm -hmm. words. And you talked about the, the doing and action. And I, I guess I look at this and say, and I've realized this recently, I think people in their head don't even realize how they're not actually looking at actions. Yeah. In that I was just with a group and someone threw out a brilliant, I thought it was a brilliant question. They said, look, we all talk about wanting to be better or different. Mm -hmm. And they said, what's something you're going to do when you go back home? Mm -hmm. And I'm listening to all the answers. And I think I went like second or third, and I listed three things that are, they are actions. They mm -hmm. are actions. I'm going to have this conversation. I'm mm -hmm. going to do this every week. And I listen, and nobody else listed an action. <laughs> but you're they all talk about, I should really think about that. That's a, they kept saying, that's a really important question. I'm like, mm -hmm. well, yeah, it was a really important question. Why don't you answer the damn question? Right. <laughs> and here's the thing. I don't think anybody realized it because I did. I brought it up. Mm -hmm. I said, nobody listed an action. Yeah. So talk about that. I don't know what to put, I won't put a label on it. Mm -hmm. That people think they're actually doing mm -hmm. and talking about doing, but they're really not. They're just yeah. thinking about stuff. You know, it's, um, they're not. And, and I, I think Jeff, you and I might be a little bit different in that respect, both in my book, but also in our, 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 our 14 and 13 year old mindset of always doing something, right? We're planful and we're going to go out there and do it, <laughs> you know, PhD and, and JD respectively. I think a lot of people like the idea of doing. They, um, and I talk about it in my book a little bit and, and, and I'll, and that is we all live parallel lives on paper. When we say it out loud, it's, oh, I think that sounds good. But when we actually talk about doing, we become fearful because we start to uncover all the things. All the things that we thought we were good at that we are not necessarily good at or we swept under the rug. All the times that we curtailed and created shortcuts. When we think about um, the idea behind now, I've got to let go of something. The doing becomes a lot more daunting. I think even in context of sitting in situations of a, of a room and when I'm doing my group coaching, you know, one of the biggest things I think about and tell people is that when we are actually talking about change, it's a, it's a verb, it's an action. So everything that we're actually talking about here right now, it's about pausing, processing, reflecting. Thinking is doing. Let's not lose sight of that. It's setting ourselves up because Absolutely. when we're not doing, we're beating ourselves up. We're, we're, we have our, that mental talk, <laughs> right? all the reasons that are trying to keep us safe. So guess what? That's doing as well. But if you're not actually thinking it through and saying, how can this be applied to my life? 
And then what am I willing to do with it? So Ian, how do you help your clients and these organizations and leaders stay out of the trap of thinking? As I agree with you, (laughs) thinking is a form of doing. Yes. I would argue like once. Yeah. (laughs) I'm going to think about this. So what'd you do the last month? I've been thinking about this all month. Yes. So what'd you do different? Well, nothing, but I've been doing it. I've been been thinking thinking about about it all the time. I mean, it's a truth, right? It's a paradox. It is a form of doing. Yes. But how do you keep them out of that trap that all they do is think? Yeah, it's it's, it's an interesting place for us to be because if we if we don't think then we're all working on our unconscious bias and think about this we make between what two thousand and ten thousand decisions each day between wow. ten thousand two thousand you know think just think about that for a, cons- a moment two thousand to ten thousand decisions each day 95 percent of which are unconscious <laughs> yet i'm asking people to do something different which means I need them to raise to a level of consciousness in that moment and in that time. That is less about, I need you to go out here and make a plan. Congratulations, I can get anyone to make a plan. (laughs) Congratulations, I can get anyone to do something one time. What I'm asking people to do, and even my clients, is now to live to a new expectation. If I'm working with my organizations, I'm looking for them to expand. Because now we're doing technical implementations. Guess what? Something's going away. Something's going to be brand new. So they have to embrace the discomfort. They have to embrace the discomfort while also acknowledging the discomfort. So I need you to think about it. I do need you to be present. So if you're complaining about it, let's talk about the reason you're going to be you're complaining <laughs> about this, right? What's yeah. keeping you there? And then let's move off it. That's, what stories do you keep telling yourself? Because that's always going to bring you back. Because it's always the discomfort in the doing. But also, we, we, treat, we treat change, transformations as events. It's like, I'm just trying to get to this milestone. I'm trying to get to this end date. I'm trying to fit into this dress. I need to look good for my wedding. I need to look good for the high school reunion. I need to get this job title. Those are events, which tells me that I can get anyone to do an event. <laughs> There's event planners. They're, they're probably better for you than I am. What I'm actually talking about is integrating to what you're going to be doing differently consistently. In organizations, it comes down to performance evaluations. It comes down to what your processes now look like. It's now what your behavior looks like, whether you want to think about it or not. Or if it's my coaching, it's now you taking that ownership and saying, here's what I'm willing to do every single day, or at least part of the day, or at least if I don't, I acknowledge that I didn't do it and being okay with that. That's where that thinking really, um, Jeff, to your question, really takes it from, I'm just thinking about it and I'm not doing anything. It's, it's saying I'm thinking about it and it says, and here's what I'm going to do about it. Let's take a quick break and hear from our sponsors. If you enjoy the Leadership Junkies podcast and you want to grow your leadership, we have a new course for you called Become a Confident Leader. In this course, we will share some of the keys to becoming more confident in your leadership and also to become more impactful. Go to cartavera.com slash confident to find out more. See you on the inside. The world's best known investor and Wall Street expert Warren Buffett once said, Wall Street is the only place that people ride to in a Rolls Royce to get advice from those who take the subway. Mr. Buffett's quote is remarkably accurate, but how many people would rather receive advice from him than someone simply guessing? Welcome to Buy, Hold, Sell, your single source for Wall Street knowledge and profitable guidance. Please join me, Todd Schoenberger, and fellow trader Tobin Smith, as well as host Veronica Dudo, for a podcast known to move the needle for investors. Tobin and I are seasoned Wall Street executives with deep investment experience, and we are prepared to share our advice to those who choose to listen. Download Buy, Hold, Sell today on the Evergreen Podcast Network or your favorite podcast channel. Welcome, change agents, to your go-to place for stories that ignite your spirit, fuel your purpose, and connect us all. We believe in the incredible power of the human spirit, its boundless resilience, and the inspiration it brings to our lives. On the Driving Change Podcast, we'll journey together through the extraordinary yet very relatable experiences of some of the most amazing people on earth. Our mission, that through these stories, we might just spark change within you and awaken a newfound motivation to harness your unique gifts to make a real difference in the world. So get ready to be inspired and join us on this incredible adventure. 
You can find the Driving Change Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you love listening to your favorite podcasts. Welcome back. Always, um, as you can guess, because I talked about My Fair Lady earlier, Mm -hmm. uh, Craig and I are both movie people, and the doing part, I always think of one scene in one movie, which is the movie Untouchables. Okay, yeah. Where at least two times, Sean Connery says, what are you prepared to do mm-hmm. in some very dire situations? And then he's really saying, don't tell me yeah. how this bothers you. Don't tell me how upset you are. Mm-hmm. What are you going to do about it? And I love that. I like that idea of taking people to say, to acknowledge it. So what are you mm-hmm. thinking about first? They'll give them the thinking piece. Yeah. What did you learn? And now what are you going to do with that thinking and learning versus if you jump right to the doing, they may say, well, you cheated me. I have to think first. Yeah, <laughs> it sounds like that's what you're doing. You're giving them the gift of thought, but yes. bring them to the doing. Yeah, because people are so quick are so quick to. Well, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? And you think about talk about anyone with change and that discomfort. It's okay. Let's put a plan and let's go to the do. Whereas in my book, intention, it's purposeful. Why the first two chapters and first two parts around discovery? Like, what's real? What are you really solving for? What do you before you can do? What are you doing with? And what do you? How do you apply that? And then the second part is the principle of you. Like, who are you? What are you willing to do? What are you bringing to the table? And what are you giving up? What, what, who are you in that context of what you want to do? Now, the third piece is let's build a plan and then let's go do. But yet, when someone immediately says without the context of people to think up front and say, okay, great. I acknowledge that in the moment. I'm beating myself up. Crap, I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> or I shouldn't have done that. Let me own that and say, am I done? Am I done beating myself up? Cool. That's wonderful. Now what am I going to do different? And now I have a choice. I think that comes back to the, the big word of your book, which is intention. And yeah. if you look at the process of, okay, now I'm going to go create a plan. Mm-hmm. Well, if you create a plan in the vacuum, that is not setting the right kind of intention to have right. inclusion of that idea of the ideas of other people coming mm-hmm. into bear. And so setting the intention of how we're going to plan, I would mm-hmm. think makes a lot of sense as well, because then we're saying, okay, who do we want to hear from? Who do we want to participate in this process so that we have better information so that everybody's bought in and mm-hmm. so forth? Absolutely. And it's extremely key with organizations. Um, and while my book is written necessarily for executive leaders for their own transformations or people for their own self-improvement, it definitely is transferable over to organizations. And even specifically, when I go in, reason why I ask, okay, well, what's the feedback we've already seen? What's the level of engagement we already have? What are we willing to do? What's our scope? What are we not touching and that we just need to anchor on? Where do we have some flexibility? Those things go a long way towards what truly are we planning for? Because everybody wants everything um, (laughs) with no work attached to it. Right. (laughs) Um, They just want the end result and to keep whatever they're doing um, the same to the extent possible. And so for that, and to your very statement, Craig, it is a function of organizationally speaking, really being intentional about understanding. And with that understanding, with that intention, now I can control the conversation. <laughs> and now it's just about me being flexible, no different than Dorothy. I'm now flexible on that journey of where I'm going. And now I'm responding versus reacting. <laughs> it's funny you say that. I had the exact same thing happen the other day. I went to jump my dad's car and my car in the process started beeping and flashing and it wasn't working. Um, I said, well, my dad was like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, you know, now what? And I said, don't worry, I have insurance. I have, I have it covered, you know, no, no problem. Managed to make it work anyway. So, but it was just, I wasn't going to get into that place of despair Whereas that was somebody else's natural. (laughs) (laughs) That's a reaction versus you had a response to it. Mm -hmm. And I think when we have a plan, because we're also putting the plan together, we're also in in doing that discovery of of what we're looking for and who we are and what we're willing to do. We're also putting the context of what's the worst that can happen. Right. (laughs) Right. You know, when we think about what we're we're trying to go, it's like, really, what are we going to do? So I remember working with with an executive and we're about to send an email out to, you know, some 5,000 people across the organization. And he hadn't done it before. And he wanted to check it, double check. And he kept asking me, you, you, you think it's right? You think it's good? And I said to him, I said, Dave, 
what's the worst that could, what's the worst that's going to happen? What's ultimately what's the worst that this email is going to do? You get fired. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Now let's look at this email and see: Are we going to get fired for this? Is there anything in here that we said that we called out somebody that we shouldn't have, or put some language in here that we shouldn't, or whatever the case? Is there anything categorically that is fireable? Okay, no. Okay, so let's now let's now let's walk back from that. What else is the worst thing that can happen? Okay, I mean we've cared for everything that we could think of. It wasn't that we didn't. And if we something does happen, which in this case it didn't, um, the reality is we'll care for it because we're prepared. We already know if someone comes back and says they didn't like it, how would you respond? If someone comes back and says they didn't get the email or communication, how would you respond? Or if they don't like your strategy that you put in here, how would you respond? And part of that response needs to consider how are we impacting the other people around us? You know, mm -hmm. if I throw up my hands and say, oh my gosh, the world's ending, mm -hmm. how is that impacting the people around me versus let's keep it calm? Mm -hmm. if, if I show that it's, it's not bothering me as much, and I truly mean that it's not, then that helps other people accept it as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, so Ian, you've I think you've talked about this, but I'm going to bring it to a fine point. There's a, this saying hit me as we, I was listening to you. I think if this is the right one, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Yes. Right. So yes. basically that's saying good intentions are fine, but mm -hmm. how are you going to actually act? Mm -hmm. Right. So it's not just about intentions. Mm -hmm. And I'm hearing you say it's not just about action. Yeah. Without intention. So is that really what you're talking about here is bringing those together? The intentions integrating with the actions that are in alignment with those intentions? Absolutely. It's aligning our thoughts and our intentions and our beliefs and that value with our specific actions. While also, as we were just talking about caring for, as Craig mentioned, what we are trying to achieve, caring for what we believe might happen in a worst case scenario, and also caring for how that might impact others. As leaders, as, if, as we give some thought to those three areas, uh, one, how are we doing this and why are we doing it? Secondly, how are we caring for our actions and making sure that we're moving forward in the right direction and that our actions align to what we said we were, are doing and willing to do? And third, curating and ensuring we understand the impacts to others so that we can respond to those instances when we know what their concerns are and what their interests are. We're in a better position now to then move forward. We're in a, we're in a position of power versus one of oh shit, <laughs> I don't want Kathy at my doorstep complaining about this because I just don't want Kathy complaining at my doorstep. It is one of truly integrating our intentions with our actions because then we have something that which we can measure ourselves against that is authentic to what we said we were going to do, willing to do, and what we knew we were going to do. And now that's our measure versus framing success based off an ROI or behaviors we had no intention to doing to begin with. I hadn't thought about this before, but we talk about emotional intelligence, but emotional unreactivity may be mm -hmm. maybe an issue if we cannot be reactive for a minute. Yeah. A minute is a long time for us to consider the ramifications of what we're about to say. Mm -hmm. And if we can just hold off, be, be fairly impassive, regardless of what we're hearing, mm -hmm. and then think, okay, now the person that's telling me this, are they mm -hmm. telling me this, you know, what's the reason for this? The issue is it really as bad as it seems, you mm -hmm. know, et, et cetera, you know, going through those the, kind of the checklist, but then also saying, okay, now how can I have the best possible response mm -hmm. that doesn't destroy the person in front of me, yeah. right? And, and helps us to move forward. Yeah. It, you know, there's a saying that was, um, there's a couple of sayings I like out of the, the book, The Prince, written by Nicola Machiavelli. Um, I don't know if either of you are familiar with it. Mm -hmm. It was actually written in 1532. Um, really interesting book, and it was um, uh, translated, I think, in 1921. And one of the things that came out of the book that I really enjoyed was that the art of true leadership, and I'm going to paraphrase, is, is a leader that, who is great at asking questions and patient in hearing. <laughs> and, yeah. so it, and, and more specifically, patient in hearing that truth. And so it speaks, Craig, to what you just mentioned in that as leaders, we're taught to always in a lot of ways, have an answer or response. Yeah. Um, 
we don't necessarily always ask questions to seek clarification or listen to hear. Hmm. Um, we're often listening to a, a truth of someone else's truth that they're probably curating for us versus a truth of what's behind the layers. Right. Yeah. And to that, we have to be present versus to your very statement of not being able to respond and saying, hey, this is what I just heard. Is that accurate? Is this truly what you're saying? Or what other factors influence what you just said? Yeah. How did I contribute to this? You know, taking personal accountability. That's a great and, point. Um, those are the things that really are influential in any leadership, but also as we think about moving us forward and backwards and creating that engagement, those who do that well really have an authenticity to themselves. Mm. People who will do whatever they can for them, even if they don't necessarily agree because they trust. And those individuals who um, more oftentimes than not will be more successful as a leader as an end result. Well, it seems like what one thing we're talking about here is you referenced this early in the conversation, Ian, the idea of vulnerability. Mm -hmm. And what we're discovering is that there's so many layers to vulnerability, because to me, that pause is vulnerable. Yeah, the pause itself is vulnerable. So some people say, yeah, that's a good idea. But mm -hmm. what might be getting in the way is they don't want to be vulnerable. And to your point, I hear you say, get down to what's the root that caught, like, why are you so uncomfortable with the pause? Why do you think mm -hmm. that's bad? What's the story going in your head that the pause is bad and now you're a lesser leader or you're weak <laughs> or you're not smart? And I think I love your idea of just pe keep peeling the onion to find mm -hmm. out what's really driving the behavior so we can change the behavior going forward. Yes. You know, it's, it's a great point you, you bring up. And until you brought it up, I had lost sight of it. But one of the mm -hmm easy or early things I learned in clinical psychology was the art of asking questions and being comfortable in the silence. Mm, just really good at that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and with that silence, asking questions to someone and then just allowing them to answer and not in two statement, not being vulnerable enough in our work environment or life environment to just jump in and fill the void. Um, and vulnerability isn't necessarily the absence of fear, right? It's knowing that you're in a place of unknown and willing to go there anyway. Mm. That's really how I look at vulnerability. As leaders, as parents, siblings, significant others, that space in that of quiet and of noise, that, of qu that quiet noise in particular, right? And that, and that quiet noise is our own thoughts, scares people away. Mm. But when we're able to get the answers from that quietness comes true truth in authenticity in ways that are often masked and hidden. And so being able to pause in that quiet is extremely important. Mm. And it requires us to be comfortable with our own vulnerability, as well as the one projected by the person or people we're even talking to. So, yeah. Ian, uh, this has been so much great insights and perspectives, and I want to put it and layer it over with the reality of today. Yeah. Um, you mentioned, and I think your opening remarks about the changes in the workforce and the workplace mm -hmm. with remote work and hybrid work. Mm -hmm. And I actually did a little research for my program this morning, uh, and I, I called it the reality of the workplace today, at least in the U.S. I'm going to just look at this for my own reference. Yeah. I was talking about the Great Resignation, yes. which was 4 million people in April. Mm. What I didn't realize is from April, May, and June, 11.5 million people voluntarily resigned. Wow. It wasn't just April. It's 11.5 million people voluntarily resigned in a three-month period. Just keeps blowing it off the charts. And what the research is showing, and, and I'll, I'll pause after this to get your input, um, it listing four reasons for yeah. it. The number one reason, and it's based upon the number of responses that say this, is people rethinking work and life mm -hmm. is the number one reason. 
-hmm. Number two is stress and burnout, which I think is related mm -hmm. to number one. Number mm -hmm. three mm -hmm. is how they were treated by their employer mm -hmm. during the pandemic. And it wasn't good. Mm -hmm. They didn't feel cared <laughs> mm -hmm. about. Right. And number mm -hmm. four is the unemployment benefits. Like it's way down at the bottom. <laughs> but usually when this topic comes up, people say, well, it's the damn unemployment and everybody's lazy. No, that's not it. So mm -hmm. two things here, and I'll break them up if it's helpful. One is, what are your thoughts on what's going on in the workplace, especially around leadership and these topics? Um, and number two, what do you feel like the obligation of the organizations and leaders is to rethink work if your people, if millions of people are rethinking it? Yeah, it's th those are great questions. I, I love the love the stats you just brought out because it's not unsurprising, unsuspri uh, if I can speak, excuse me. Um, 11 million people. Um, that's astounding. And I'm confident that number will grow. It as we think about the stats that you mentioned, the reasons, one of, you know, burnout, work-life balance, the way that they were treated, and I'll leave the unemployment piece for, for, for a moment here. You know, those first three speak to quite a bit of, of choice of, one, as we think about leaders of wanting to sustain their momentum and their ROI, not being uh, and demonstrating empathy and be empathetic to their employees' experiences, much less their own. That ROI needs to be replaced with return on heartbeats. ROH, nice. And it's truly, as you think about those first two reasons, and we'll go right there, it's like the burnout and and, or burnout, lack of balance, and, and not treated fairly. If people lead with return on heartbeats, quite frankly, those first, those first three things are now cared for in a lot different way. Yep. Our processes are looking a little bit different. How I lead looks different. And that means, oh yeah, by the way, I may not get that big bonus at the end. And guess what? That's okay. I might have to change the performance metrics. That's okay too. What I think the last 18 months and going on almost seemed like two years has presented to us is that people are caring more for themselves and recognizing that my life is much more than the paycheck I receive. Yes. And demonstrated by that, our leaders need to acknowledge that people now are authored in a choice whereby I can now work remotely from organizations that do want and do allow and right. do expect me to work <laughs> remotely. And I don't want to go back into the office. My time with my family, with my children, hell, just by myself <laughs> is extremely important. Yes. Hell, and as we were talking about living in LA, you can't go anywhere without being stuck in traffic for at least 30 minutes, <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. Why do I want to be stuck in, in traffic for an hour just to get to a job for where I'm only sitting there at a desk to sit in a one meeting, they want to see me in person. Just because someone wants to see me in person. Yep. As an individual, people are, are empowering themselves and really um, authoring in choice in a way that they hadn't allowed themselves to do before. I mean, we actually have to talk to people and find out what they want. <laughs> yes. Gosh, that um, sounds so intrusive. It's, it's, it's not like it's not like any of this stuff just happened or people just weren't happy because guess what they weren't they didn't like the way that they were being treated i can almost guarantee you at least 70 to 80 percent of those people didn't like the way that they were treated before sure. <laughs> that just didn't happen um it just happened to be probably more visible or a lot more transparent in certain ways but it just didn't happen and so now that I look, now that those stats are available, leaders now need to be able to look at those, those, that information a lot of different ways and demonstrate how can they now lead so that one, we're retaining our top talent and retaining as much talent because sometimes turnover is good, but now what's the talent we need to make sure we have to sustain our business? And then secondly, how can I lead better so that they feel part of the process, hmm, feel part of ownership? 
you know, I yet to see an organization ask people coming back to work or, you know, mind you, I don't work for an organization, so probably wouldn't see it, but I've yet to hear a story of an organization reaching out to their people and taking a survey on what they would like to see and do or what processes they can actually put in place to either have a hybrid um, type culture. So, Ian, there's something you said in there that I want to ask you a question about. Because what sure. I heard you say in your answer was about the leader saying, maybe they have to forego their performance bonus. Mm -hmm. And saying that, what, I'm here, what I heard in that is that doing it this different way means you're not going to be able to perform. And I don't mm -hmm. know that I agree with that. Right. I think this look mm -hmm. at how can we perform the same or even greater, mm -hmm. but we're going to do it with our people versus on their back. Totally agree. Yeah. Yeah. I, oh, I, oh, I agree. Oh, that's a great, great point, Jeff. I didn't mean to put it down in that respect mm -hmm. um, or go to that far extent. Both and. I think, <laughs> what, I guess, to expound on that a little bit, our, the way the performance expectations are now and our bonuses are based off of a model of people being in the office and being able to see them in so much control. And I think that's really what they're looking at it is out of sight, out of mind. And oh, yeah, I have a lot of strategies not to implement. Um, in that context, can I get that same lift with people being remote? Now this is our way of working versus a, an event we're now managing. And as such, treating our, that bonus that was based off of whatever we thought the world was gonna be two years ago and our, my organization um, strategy being implemented, that, RO, that ROI can still be met to your, very, to your very acknowledgement and quite honestly should be met. Now we're, don't need as many brick and mortars. So we should see some cost savings. Don't need as many desks in because people are working hybrid and you have the hotel modeling, et cetera. But it's also getting into stuff for a moment and say, shit, I don't necessarily need all this to still hit my numbers. But yet the first thing they think about is how does this impact my numbers? How does it impact my customers? How does it impact my strategy? Yeah. Whereas start from a caring perspective and then guess what? You'll make your money. So Ian, um, one thing I want to wrap up with this question is yeah. books about intention. You've talked about intention and we're yeah. closing by talking about remote and hybrid work mm -hmm. and a number of our guests and people I've heard just sort of on the street have suggested that one of the keys to leading and managing with remote and hybrid teams is to be more intentional. Mm -hmm. So since that is your topic, just give us that, that lightning bolt of, where does intentionality fit with your remote and hybrid workers? Sure. It fits in in three different areas, specifically in my mind for intentionality intent, being intentional as a leader. Um, the first is transparency. As a leader, we have to be very intentional about how we're communicating and being transparent on what we're doing, the reasons we're doing it, and how someone is impacted, be it individually or organizationally. That behavior alone goes a long way towards people feeling empowered and bought in. Hmm. The other piece of intention from a leadership standpoint speaks down to empathy. You've heard me talk about it quite often here from a behavior standpoint. Even if you have knowledge of general dynamics, if you fail to demonstrate a level of empathy and compassion for what people are going through, knowing that there's greater emphasis towards work-life balance, greater emphasis towards people feel burnt out and that people are leaving as a result because there are other employers out there who are willing to match what they need and want. We need to under recognize and acknowledge that that's okay for them to leave while also acknowledging that being empathetic to their situation as well as the dynamics in our world and how that's going to influence our business and organization is also true. But understanding it starts with people in that respect. The third piece behind that is being intentional about our leadership development. While I talk about it briefly and you know, off camera, as we have people remote, how are we demonstrating that visibility of our top talent and our talent within our organizations? We talked about a little bit as well, um, the idea of recognition. Part of recognition could be part, seen as present having top talent going out because at that point you're showing a level of engagement and awareness in ways that we haven't necessarily demonstrated historically. And finally, that return, um, and it ties to all of it, is that return on heartbeat. It's like, what are we doing to create joy in that engagement across the board? 
And when we can do those things, I think uh, we can live with a new intention, with purpose, direction, and build actions specifically to those that fit our culture and that's authentic to you as a leader to move us forward. Love it, Ian. So many ideas on not only different ways to see it and perspectives, but also to change those behaviors, change those actions, change up the doing to be the leader that people say they want to be. Uh, So uh, we always give our guests a chance to promote anything that's special going on. What is that for you, Ian? Yeah. So um, as as, uh, we chat about a little bit, um, there's two things. One, also the author of, uh, again, Intention, Building Capabilities to Transform Your Story. It can be found on Amazon and as well as on Barnes & Noble and this paperback as well as ebook. Uh, audiobook uh, is coming uh, shortly. Um, it's really a book intended to create experiences of expansion, of moving people from one place of where they feel comfortable and now testing their uh, skills as well as capabilities to do something different, recognizing that they're in a pursuit of being better. Um, the second piece I'll promote is, you know, obviously coaching is near and dear to my heart and working with organizations and individuals is extremely key. So I also, um, from a general perspective, have a uh, group coaching um, classes that are coming up here in the not too distant future. Um, they can be found on roadsmith.com. That's R-H-O-D-E-S-S-M-I-T-H.com, where they can, um, listeners can find group coaching as well as individual coaching um courses that are coming up here in the not too distant future awesome so uh you listed, you listed the website what's the best way for people to connect with you directly sure. um so they can go to roadsmith.com as well as um so all addition on that website they can find um this podcast as well as other um social media i've been on um articles i've written um as well as just a video of each one of the various programs they can also find me on Twitter and Instagram under Dr. B underscore intention. That's Dr. B underscore intention. And I can be found on LinkedIn under Ian Brooks. Awesome. So Ian, we always wrap up with a question or two, and uh, you actually answered one of the questions with that final bit of wisdom. So I'm just going to go with this one. What's mm-hmm. that movie movie scene or character that speaks to you about leadership and impact yeah and uh since you hopefully you you had mentioned your movie buff so hopefully you know this movie um the movie that comes to mind for me is to serve with love hmm. and I do know 1969 the movie. or 1967 movie with Sidney Poitier um for those who are less familiar with the movie uh, Sidney Poitier plays a, a high school teacher on the east side of London um, and a downtrodden side. Um, obviously, Sidney Poitier is, is black. Um, the school of which he's teaching in is um, majority, if not all white, uh, being in London. And he's now faced with uh, teaching these kids and making them become, or allowing them to become students, but also adults and good human beings um, within one year. And while he's on a pursuit to become an engineer, um, and in that, one of the things that demonstrated in that movie, because it tackled both the social and societal and racial challenges within the 1960s with him going and being, becoming that teacher in that school, mm-hmm. um, it demonstrated a number of different things to me from a leadership standpoint. Um, and we talked a little bit about them as well. Um, the first is um, being, the, being able to listen. Um, one of his key attributes within working with his students that I think is applicable to just about any walk of life or any job is that he was able to listen to his students and, and meet them where they were. But it, oftentimes when we talk about meeting people where they are, we think we have to be down with them, whereby we have to acknowledge where they are and allow them to meet us where we are in our place in space. And one of the great things Sidney Poitier did throughout the entirety of the movie with a zigzag effect but ultimately getting there was that he was able to move the students along to become better adults and students and people at the end. And that all started with his ability to listen. Um, He also demonstrated an ability of humility. That humility was demonstrated in a number of different facets, most notably 
one, be, becoming a teacher and obviously wanting to make sure that there's a lot of things the students did to him to make his life a living hell. <laughs> but he did not allow that to deter him. And in that humility afforded him an opportunity for himself to grow. To the extent at the end of the movie where he got the job to become that engineer someplace else, he tore that job, that, that job offer up and stayed and remained a teacher at that school because it taught him so much more about himself and the contributions he was able to make. And so, you know, those are just some of the points I'll bring up for To Serve With Love um, with Sidney Poitier and a number of other actors and actresses back in the 60s, but wanted to bring that movie up as an example. Right. Well, thank you, Ian. Thanks for all your wisdom today. And uh, most important, the work that you're doing in the world to create uh, these organizations, teams, and leaders that um, really get to a healthier form of leadership and organization. No, Love that return on heartbeats. Thank yes. you. <laughs> no, I appreciate it, Jeff and Craig. Wonderful being here. And thanks for the conversation. If you enjoy the Leadership Junkies podcast and you want to grow your leadership, we have a new course for you called Become a Confident Leader. In this course, we will share some of the keys to becoming more confident in your leadership and also to become more impactful. Go to cartavera.com confident to find out more. See you on the inside. How much do you understand the future of finance? I'm Jim Roos, a top 10 banking influencer and host of the podcast Banking Transform, where we dive deeply into the rapidly evolving world of banking and financial technology. Join me as I interview industry experts, thought leaders, and innovators as they unravel the latest banking trends, disruptions, and game-changing technologies reshaping the world of finance. Redefine your understanding of the banking ecosystem. Subscribe now to Banking Transformed, available wherever you get your podcasts and now available on YouTube.